And so if you would, let's give it up for Pat Linnell. He's going to come up and share with us today. Hey, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. So uh, it's great to be here from Maryland. Drove down yesterday. Had a great trip. Driving back today. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's all good, though. It's all good. And I, I also realize that this is kind of like a blind date, sort of, our first time meeting each other. So I thank Robbie for that introduction and tell you a little bit about myself real quick. I've been married for 16 years to my high school sweetheart, Kristen, and we have four awesome kids. One of them's here today. I'll put the, I'll put the four up. That's Jackson. Say hi, Jack. Oh, okay, thanks. Thanks for everybody saying hi to Jack. Uh, here's the kids, Ava, Jackson, Scarlett, and Max. That picture took 20 minutes to take. No lie. Everybody had something going on that day when we finally uh, got to snap that pic. I, and as Robbie said, I've had the privilege of teaching the Bible for over a decade now up in Annapolis, Maryland. And I'm really excited to open the word with you guys this morning. And so let me just also share, you guys are already grace bombing. You're already grace bombers. I'm going to explain what all of that is. But what I hope to do is basically take, not that I would do this in real life, but to take a gas of can, uh, a gas, a can of gasoline, easy for you to say, and pour it on these fires that you guys have started. Uh, the second Sundays and those impact partners that we just prayed for, like you guys are already taking seriously Jesus's words to put, you know, your faith into action and loving your neighbor. And my hope would be that Grace Bomb just comes and pours fuel on the whole thing. So we see a massive wildfire. It's going to be great. So let me pray for our time, and then we're going to jump into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pause here to say thank you for providing this warm, cozy, reclinable space where we can take you in, where we can sing and pray and draw closer to you. And now I pray that as we open your altogether good, helpful, and practical word, you would change us in the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out in a way that only you can. And we pray this this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So my goal, everybody, this morning is actually just to unpack one verse for you with a really long introduction. And in case you check out on me and the recliners go back and you get cozy, let me show you where I'm going to land today. The main verse today is actually Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I'm going to paraphrase it this way. Grace-built people, grace-bomb people. Now, I'm going to explain what that means when we get there, but just in case I lose you, and I'm going to try not to lose you at some route along the way, uh, this is where we're headed. And I want to actually begin this way. Uh, I'm going to have a little prop up here to help me explain, to explain this uh, little parable. Because for a long time, even as a Bible teacher, I missed the main point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you're probably thinking, oh, here's the neighbor-loving guy. He's going to tell us to go out and be a good Samaritan. We saw that coming from a mile away. But actually, while we can and should draw good application from Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan, like let's be a neighbor to anyone around us and let's be lavishly giving and all those good nuggets from the story, I completely overlooked the point of that story. And it wasn't just go be a good neighbor. 
And so let me back up because it's important to back up to look at the main point of this parable because it's actually our identity that informs our purposes as we go and live and serve Jesus. So let me show you exactly what I'm talking about. And if, you're, if you hear the, this, the phrase parable of the Good Samaritan and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to assume there's a level of familiarity with it, but it's the story where a man was, Jesus tells the story, a man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls among robbers and he gets beat up and bloodied and left in the street lying, you know, basically dying. And then luckily a priest walks by, but the priest goes around the man. And then luckily a Levite, another godly man, shows up, but he doesn't do anything either. And the shocker of the story is it's the Samaritan and the Samaritans were the sworn enemies of the Jews, a lot of bad blood in between the Samaritans and the Jews back in the day. Surprisingly, the shocker was the Samaritan stops, takes this guy, loves on him, and so the story goes. And so we think, oh, we need to be like that Samaritan, and yes, all well and good we do, but look at how this story begins. Here's the context. The context is a lawyer stands up with a motive trying to trick Jesus, trap Jesus, stop Jesus' ministry in his tracks. We'll pick up in Luke verse uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, now check the, check the question here. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This kicks off the whole conversation. What do I need to do to go to heaven, to attain eternal life, to see the kingdom of God? Verse 26, he said to him, Jesus says to the man, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Because a lawyer should know his Bible. Jesus says, you know your Bible. What does your Bible say? And he answered, is actually a good answer from the lawyer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would say this very same thing in Matthew 22. So he's summarizing the law and the prophets. Love God, love people. And then here's where it gets a bit odd. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do these things and you'll inherit eternal life. Do these things and go to heaven. But then we get this little clue here from Luke in verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, let me just uh, point a few things out. The lawyer stands up. His heart's not really in the right place. We see that he was trying to test Jesus, meaning he wasn't genuinely seeking spiritual truth or he wasn't like Nicodemus in John chapter 3 where he hears a guy coming to Jesus really wanting to know the deep truths about life, spiritual things. This lawyer thought he had it all together and he just wanted to test Jesus. And he says, so what do I have to do? What are the things I have to do to go to heaven, inherit eternal life? And essentially, Jesus says this, you're right. Here's a ticket. This is like a ticket to heaven. And it's got two requirements on it. Jackson, I'll hold up high so you can see it. Love God, love people. This is a summary of the law and the prophets. Now, what's weird about this situation is Jesus says, you've answered correctly. If you can check these boxes, you get to go to heaven. That's weird, isn't it? Like, where's grace? Where's the gospel? Where's faith? All of that stuff. All the things that we hold, hold to be you know, true about the Christian faith. This is an odd answer. Now, desiring to justify himself We see from Luke, the lawyer in his heart is saying this. Oh, yeah, I'm a lawyer. I'm in God's work. I know the Bible. I do this for a living. I, I, so, Jesus, here's the thing. I can love God. 
with all my heart. And, you know, by association, I'm not mean to people. I'm nice to the people around me. I, I do right by my, my neighbors. Oh, and by the way, can we even know who our neighbors are? And so it's essentially like he was saying, Jesus, I can check these boxes. And this is the context into which Jesus then shares this parable of the Good Samaritan. And so it's a crazy story because the Samaritan would be an enemy of the Jews. And so Jesus paints this picture of loving your neighbor in this way. <laughs> in, in the story, he's painting this picture of saying, you need to love people, your neighbor, perfectly. Because this, like, it wasn't just any neighbor. It was an enemy. And it was the enemy who was loved, served, and lavishly you know, grace-bombed by this Samaritan. And that's gotta get the it's gotta get the lawyer thinking a little bit, like, do I love like that? <laughs> Maybe not. And by extension, if I'm loving people like that, well, I must be carrying out all the other things God wants me to do. So Jesus says in telling this parable, look, this is a picture of what it's like to love God and love people perfectly. Now let me show you the point that I've so often overlooked in this parable of the Good Samaritan without using words. The main point, and now don't get me wrong, we want to be a good neighbor and be like the Samaritan. That's what we do. But the main point of the parable of the Good Samaritan is this. The lawyer can't check the box. And we can't check the box. And here's what Jesus is saying. If we can't punch our own ticket to heaven, we need a Savior. He was telling the lawyer the answer to his question, which was the very question in the beginning, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you need a Savior to inherit eternal life. He needed a Savior. We need a Savior Every human being born under the sun needs a Savior. And that, friends, is the story of the Scriptures. And so just to extend the introduction just a little bit longer, let me unpack for you what the, what the Scriptures unpack and how God has provided. So in the beginning, God creates. God is the infinitely existent triune God who does not have a beginning. He does not have an end. And out of his love, he creates. And he creates the fashion, the universe, and the earth drawn to scale by yours truly, uh, he fashions this planet that's spinning at a 1,000 miles per hour around the sun, and it's a miracle that we're here. But here we are, human beings with a moral compass, living on planet Earth, our first parents, Adam and Eve. Now, in the beginning, everything was good in the garden at first until Adam and Eve fell into the curse. And at that point, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, we have, been, we, have been, uh, we have a new nature, and our nature is that being spiritually dead. I could unpack for you from Ephesians 2. You can look at it yourself. But we are dead in our transgressions and sins as, you know, we follow the course of the world. Every person born under the sun outside of Jesus is spiritually dead on the inside. But here's, that's the bad news. The good news is God did not leave us trapped in despair. He started a plan to restore and repair a son to be born one faithful night in the fullness of time to make all things right. And so we have the story unfolding. Now Abraham is called out. 
And we have Abraham's whole crew, the Jews, and from the Jews comes the prophets and the promises of the Messiah. And ultimately, we're going to see the Savior born from the Jews for the world. It's Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross as the atoning sacrifice, hanging on that for you and for me, for the sins of the world. He doesn't stay dead. Three days later, we get Easter up in here. He is risen, and now the risen Jesus offers this eternal life to all of the little dead people on planet earth who turn to him in faith. And when that happens, there's a great spiritual exchange. You're trading out this dead nature and you're receiving a new nature. You're you're turning a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And now you have given God your sin and he's granted you his righteousness and the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit taking up residence. And so these little dead hearts become little alive hearts signaling that we have been changed from the inside out. And those Do we have those little red hearts? Maybe I left that out of the slide. Sorry about that. They should be turning. You know, that's like the grand finale. Like, oh, these people are are turning. And this is summarized. This whole whole situation is actually summarized by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 about how this whole situation works, about how a person, it goes from death to life. And how they receive a new heart and a new nature and a new condition, given the fact that they needed a Savior when he says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is how it works, Paul says. This is a gift. This whole thing that God undertook from eternity past, and he worked out in human history, and he provides for all who turn to Jesus in faith is a gift. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so just to reiterate, there's no boxes that we can check to, pu- to punch our own ticket to heaven. Not enough good things that we can do. We have been given a gift of grace. Now, that was our intro. Verse 10 is our main verse for this morning. And we're doing good. I got my monitor up here. It says I got time left, so we're doing good. Let's take a look at the main verse of today, which is Ephesians 2.10. It speaks to our identity, and it speaks to our purpose. For we are his workmanship, following, this is a gift that we've been saved, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I have one other little sign that helps me just visualize this, and you've already seen it. This is just a sign that says, we are grace-built people. This word workmanship in verse 10 can mean poem, can mean masterpiece, it can mean a constructed or assembled thing. When I think about this word workmanship, I think about this phrase, our identity, that we are grace-built people. Because there is a real spiritual and significant change in our at the deepest level of our soul that God has done. It's a gift by grace. He's fashioned us. He's built us. And, of course, we're his people. But look at what the verse goes on to say. You see, this is where a lot of well-meaning church people, we kind of like start to, to slouch off at the second half of this verse. And I'll remind you, we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Now, I get it. When it comes to your purpose, you're going to have a purpose as a mom. You're going to have a purpose as a wife. You're going to have a purpose as a singer. You're going to have a purpose as a, a leader in the community. Lots of different purposes that God has for you. But here, in verse 10, very pointed and specifically, you have been grace-built for a specific purpose for good works, which I will, you know, basically just make synonymous with um, this idea of bombing. And so grace-built people are made with a purpose to grace-bomb people. Now, these grace bombs, and let's just call them these good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, literally could be an appropriate that we're in a movie theater all around. <laughs> because they are divinely appointed. So let me, let me just stir your thoughts in a different manner. If it's true that you're a grace-built person and that God has made you for good works, and that these good works have been prepared beforehand, that means God has had to set some things up in advance for you to walk in. And so it's kind of like this. I want to throw up some old school video real quick and throw up your hand if you recognize what this is. Couple people do, couple people don't. What is it? This is Duck Hunt. This is the old school Nintendo when it first came out Nintendo game. Now, what was the objective of Duck Hunt? Shoot the ducks. And what did you do to have to get ready for Duck Hunt? It was very simple. Okay, we've seen enough Duck Hunt. We can take Duck Hunt now. Duck Hunt was a very simple game. You get your gun ready, make sure it's plugged in to the Nintendo console, and you just kind of get ready. And, you know, back in the day, I might, like, turn the gun for style points, like gangster points. It all worked the same when the gun was working correctly. But you were, you were just kind of waiting and expectant and ready. And if you notice, if you ever played the game, the bush rattles a little bit. And that is a, is a small prompting that something's about to come. And I will almost put it in those terms in this way. It's as if you're walking around your everyday walk of life, coffee shop, cubicle, work, school, home, and perhaps if we're mindful to look, we might just start to see some rattling bushes. And when that happens, well, if that duck pops out, we're ready. And so I, will, I would contend to you that as you go about every single day, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, the Spirit may very well prompt you about these little opportunities that are going to fly out around every corner. And these opportunities are human beings to be engaged with or invested in in a way that's going to be very unique to the situation. Um, but what we see here is that these things have been divinely planned for us to walk in. And now it's not just here in Ephesians 2 that the Bible speaks to these good works that we're to be about. If you open the pages of Scripture, and, you know, as our brother did in the earlier prayer jam, because there's a prayer jam at 920, 
So if you ever want to serve and be a part of the church crew behind the scenes, come to the 920 Prayer Jam. And he was unpacking from the Old Testament how these good works have always been intended for God's people. But here's just a few other places. I call this the Bible on bombs that were to abound in good works from 2 Corinthians. We're to be fruitful in good works from Colossians. We're to be zealous for good works from Titus. That these good works are like a sacrifice that is offering and pleasing to God from Hebrews, and that Peter tells us that our good works are like a testimony to the onlooking world. And it's not just in these places. We have to let Jesus himself weigh in here when very popularly, you probably would recognize this from Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says of us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, verse 16, let your light shine before others. Now, what is the light that Jesus is talking about? So that they may see your good works. To what end, Jesus? Well, to the end that they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, when you go about your day and you're going to love your neighbor, no strings attached, you don't need to get credit and you don't really even need to figure out what the outcome is going to be because at the end of the day, it's God who receives glory when you let your light shine. And somehow in, in carrying out these good works, not just once a month or once every couple weeks, but in your everyday life. Now you might be thinking, that sounds great, preacher dude. That's very much church stuff. Well, I mean, I, I hear that in church. But let me tell you, tomorrow when I'm at work, I'm probably not going to be doing what you're talking about. And Tuesday night when I'm doing the kickball league, I'm probably not going to be doing it there either because people aren't into Jesus out there as much as they're into Jesus in here. And what I'm getting after is as church folk, and I put myself in the camp of being church folk, we know this. We've heard this. Yeah, we're supposed to be out there. Yeah, let our light shine. I mean, we learned it as kids, like this little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine. But when the rubber hits the road, here's the reality. This is hard to put into practice in everyday life. It is one of the simplest sayings of Jesus. You know, let your light shine or love your neighbor as yourself. Simultaneously, it is one of the most difficult things to begin to put into practice, simple, everyday style, is it not? Or is it just me? Because I work in, I've worked at a church for a long time, and, and it's it doesn't matter if you work at a church, it's still difficult to be out there and to rep the name of Jesus and love people like this, period. It's just difficult. And so... We want to partner with you to help in that. And so this is where you can actually take out your, those little cards that I put, or actually Jackson put, in your little cup holder. These friends are a simple little tool known as the Grace Bomb card. The Grace Bomb card is also attached to the Grace Bomb website. Let me explain what in the world these things are. Now, I'll just let you know, these things have been part of my life for about three years and they're still a part of my life, and God's still doing very cool things because of something so simple. And you might think, what in the world is this? What am I supposed to do with this? How does this even work? I'm going to let you know. 
And it might sound silly, but this thing has been a game changer for me and my crew, my crew being my family, in how every day we go about thinking about our neighbors and living out loving our neighbor, no strings attached, and being aware of those good works that God's prepared in advance for us to walk in. Also, they're heavy duty. You can wash them, and they will survive the washing machine. So, and there's a bunch, you know, there's a few here for you, and there, there'll be more ongoing as you, as you come and go, and they'll be made available for you. Number one, let me talk about these cards. Number one, these are a reminder for you. Because on the back, it says, you've been grace-bombed. And when you walk around and you have a card that says, you've been grace-bombed, it's just a gentle little reminder of the fact that the God of the universe first gave you this gift of life, and then he came and gave the ultimate gift of his one and only begotten son, and so that you can have a new life, and so that you can walk in the purposes of him, and so that you can have life that's just not knowing where you're going after you die, but that you can have life to the full, a satisfied life now. And in a couple of weeks, Robbie's probably going to be unpacking just how much that we have been grace-bombed, which becomes a supernatural fuel supply to then go out and to love other people. So number one, it's a reminder for you. And number two, it's an icebreaker for your neighbor. Because here's the thing. I can do something really surprising or nice or kind or cool for my neighbor and feel like a weirdo because I did it. And for some reason, I can drop this little grace bomb card with it. This is my personal thing. Feel a little bit less like a, like a weirdo. And when your neighbor receives a grace bomb card, your grace bomb card goes along with your good work. Doesn't always have to, but it's actually helpful because that allow then that gives the third purpose of this card. It allows your neighbor to know that this act of love was not a random act of kindness, but an intentional act of love that was motivated by Jesus. This little card gently points them to the source of kindness, Jesus himself. And so let me just share not, and I, I, I was not planning on sharing this, but I'll just share because I just found out real quick. So last night before dinner, Jackson and I, we walk into Walmart because I needed to get a couple little things, and we couldn't find them, and we ran into this lady who worked at Walmart, and her name was Grace. I thought, that's an awesome name, Grace. And so Grace then went out of her way to show us where these things were, and we're checking out, and Jackson and I were feeling like, wouldn't it be fun to Grace bomb Grace? And, and so we go, we come up with an idea, and then I got to get to dinner, so we don't have much time. And so we get a little gift for her put together and had a Grace Bomb card. And we go track her down. She was right, out the, right at the door before we left. And I said, Grace, have you ever been Grace Bombed? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she says, no. And I said, well, listen, uh, you blessed us tonight. We wanted to bless you. And so we gave her a gift card to her own store and a Grace Bomb card and said, especially because your name is Grace, we just really wanted to hook you up. And uh, some, sometime between last night and this morning, Grace shared her story, and I got it in a, via email this morning. And I love that story that came in about the EMT. It's exactly what we're talking about. The Pop-Tarts landed at the right place at the right time to bless that person. And that person associated that gift of grace with Christ. And now we don't know where that EMT is spiritually, but they know where they could, he knows or she knows where they could come to, to find more answers because they know where that grace bomb came from, legacy. And so you give a gift and it actually helps people know the source of kindness and it'll lead them back 
in particular to, to your church. And so if you're out and about and you do something awesome, whether it's time, treasure, or talent, and I'll share a couple of stories here with, with your neighbor, and you give them a card, I want you to see real quick if they are so intrigued or investigating what, uh, what they would see if they go to gracebombs.org, if they track it down. And so this is just a quick landing page video if you haven't seen it. We'll play it for you real quick. Welcome. So you've been Grace Bomb, or you've heard about this, and you're probably wondering what that is. Well, Grace describes an unearned or undeserved gift, and we see that Grace demonstrated from Jesus in the Bible. Now, typically, bombs are used to mess things up. Yeah, amen. So the cool thing is, since we've kicked this thing off, we've seen grace bombing happening in all 50 states. But our goal is to birth this thing from churches because it is, our, it is actually our birthright to drive the cultural conversation of kindness. And so last night at dinner, Robbie was asking me, hey, man, so like what are, share, just share a couple stories of like, you know, maybe some of your top grace bomb stories that have come in or something that sticks out. And so he got my mind thinking a little bit about that. So let me just share with you, just like, who spoke earlier, Nicole? Caroline, with the double last name. Caroline shared uh, what somebody shared. And so here's a couple of uh, uh, Grace Bomb stories that have come in recently. Monica says, I was at the airport waiting for my flight, sitting at the gate with a terrible cold. And suddenly, a very nice guy gave me a bag with tissue paper, a small box with cinnamon, ginger and honey, earplugs, and a nice tea. He wished me to feel better. Now, look at what she says at the very end. This was one of the best surprises I've ever had in my life. It's like, what? Really? And the reality is, we as church folk, we get to, we get to rub shoulders to the degree that we step into it, into relationships with amazing people. The reality is, there's a lot of people in Greenwood and beyond that they don't have this. So some somebody doing something surprisingly nice out of the blue will get you saying things like this is one of the best surprises I've ever had in my life because they're not used to that now how awesome for somebody to experience a small taste of grace and then be able to connect it to Christ the source of grace this this other lady Hannah said I was waiting tables for lunch for my fourth double in a row I was having the worst week when a sweet couple and their son sat down for lunch super sweet super kind they left a more than generous tip they restored my faith in humanity. Words can't begin to describe what their act of kindness meant to me. Like, wow, Hannah, you must be having a terrible decade uh, if that's the case. But you just start to realize how love-starved our world is because we actually have the access to some love in communities like this. And I could actually share a few other stories, but I'm going to save one for the very end um, because I also want to mention this, that these are not random acts of kindness. 
Why are they not random acts of kindness? Because we've seen Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that these are good works prepared in advance for us to walk in. Like God has set up divine appointments for you to walk in, and they're all around us if we're aware and ready to strike with the resources that God has given us. Now, here's the thing. The grace bomb, you don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to be on the program or the schedule or be, you know, at the thing uh, at the certain time. It's wherever you are in the moment. That's where God has these plans for you, and now you have a reason to break through that comfort zone, pop the bubble of your comfort zone with a card, and let people know that Jesus saw them that day. And what happens after that is not necessarily in our court, but I'll come back to that in just a second. And you also might think, okay, Pat, so is Grace Bomb like this evangelistic thing, and, and all these people are going to come to Jesus? I don't know. Primarily, Grace Bomb is not for the lost person. Grace Bomb is primarily for us, the believers. Why? Because Jesus told us to love our neighbors. And so here's just a little reminder and tool that we can get on with everyday obedience because I've lived hearing it in church and it's a completely different thing to go out and start putting our faith into practice outside of these movie theater walls especially when we're not surrounded by church people helping us to put our faith into practice. We need those things, amen, but most of the time it's just us out there in the cold, dark world, and it's us and Jesus and other people, and we're moving into a space that the Lord is calling us into. Now, I have one other request, because this series is going to go for a couple of weekends, and then we're going to continue to have this tool available for you, but my request would be, this. It's going to sound weird or maybe self-promoting, but it's not. Let me tell you why. My request is, as the Lord prompts you, and I did skip something. I skipped the load, listen, let her go. So let me just put that up here because here's how this, here's the actual um, instruction manual for Grace Bomb. Load, keep cards on you. Because here's the thing, guys. I make a decision in the morning if I'm going to take cards or not. And if I don't take them, it's because I don't feel like dealing with Jesus that day. Actually. And I don't feel like telling people about them. And I'm like pre-making a decision. I'm not even going to be ready. But when I am ready, I'm loaded. Then I listen. And when I say listen, I'm not just talking about listen to the preacher who said go love your neighbor or whatever. I'm saying listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who's going to illuminate truth, who's going to bring the word to your mind as you're out with your friends or bowling or wherever it might be. You're hanging out these days. Probably not bowling. It's too old school. But you get what I'm saying. Maybe you do bowl. I apologize. <laughs> for those of you in the league. <laughs> but you listen to that still small voice. You listen to the tug on your heart and the prompting of the Spirit. And then you let her go. You have to take that bold step of faith. This is going to be tricky, which is why Adam's coming up next weekend to preach on fear. Because this sounds really cool, but there is real fear in stepping out of your comfort zone to do these things. So load, listen, let her go. And now I would add this request. Because here's the thing, Grace Bomb on the scene is relatively new. We've only launched in a few churches, although we've seen this thing really spread. But we want to be able to inspire other churches and generate other ideas for other people to learn from your experiences and your creativity. So I'm asking you to share. I'm asking you to share your story of how the Lord led you to Grace Bomb somebody. It's right on gracebomb.org. It's, it's, you know, it's a real simple website. It's not a whole lot going on. You can get more cards. You can share your story, see the video, and some other things. And you might say, whoa, 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 slow down there. 
Slow down there, bucko, because here's the thing. We're not supposed to be out on the streets pounding our chest saying, look at me and look what I did. That's not what it is. This is not Matthew 6 of the Pharisees in the streets being hypocritical. This is Matthew 5, letting your light shine before people to see their good works. This is in the spirit of this verse, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Because if I can hear how you were led to love a neighbor, I might think, wow, like I'm not rich or anything, but that person was able to do that. I think I could probably do that. And we want to capture those stories and we want to share those stories across the country to inspire other churches that they can do things along those lines. And so I'm asking you, and I continue to ask you, that you'd share one or two of your stories, uh, particularly if you felt that tug or that leading to love a neighbor with no strings attached. And you can do it right on the website. And you might say, well, okay, well, what's in it for Legacy City? Here's what's in it for Legacy City. The name of Jesus is going to be lifted up, number one. And number two, people will be able to find Legacy City because as a partner church, you guys are actually on gracebomb.org. And so when you're out at Walmart and Grace gets Gracebomb and she goes and shares her story, she can look down and see Legacy City Church, Greenwood, South Carolina, and realize, oh, I wonder, that would probably be a cool church to go check out. And it's not like she had to, but she can see where this thing came from, no strings attached, okay? So in closing, I have three minutes left. Here's the opportunity at hand. Here's what we get to do as we embrace this tool of discipleship known as Grace Bomb. We get to grow in our awareness of our neighbors and our everyday routines because there are people littered in our path every single day. They're all around. They're hiding in the little bush, just like the duck, just ready to pop out, these little opportunities. It's like, wow, that'd be a great opportunity to do something really fun to bless that person. We get to grow in our sensitivity and the prompting of the Holy Spirit because it's, it's God in us that's reminding us, love our neighbor. You've been blessed. You can do this. You can utter my name, and for my name's sake, you can step out of your comfort zone. We get to grow in our everyday obedience, and we get to point our world to the source of kindness. Because you're going to notice, now that we've brought up Grace Bomb, you're going to go on social media, and you're going to say, wow, there's lots of kindness movements swirling around. But check it. Kindness movements end up on kindness. We are the church, and we want our kindness to point back to Christ. And we are uniquely able to do that. Now, in closing, I'll share one last story with you before we finish off for our day. And this is a story that was actually instigated by my seven-year-old Scarlett. I drove home from a long day of work. I was just wanting to go chill out. And Scarlett says, Dad, take me on a daddy-daughter date. Seven-year-old, blonde hair, blue-eyed, hard to turn her down. I'm wrapped around her little finger. And I was like, all right, cool. We'll go to McDonald's real quick. Now, before we go into McDonald's, Scarlett says this, Dad, we should grace bomb someone. And I thought, Scarlett, we should grace bomb someone. That's a great idea. And I had three grace bomb cards in the backpack, just like you have in your hand. Put them in my pants pocket. And we go out and we grace bomb somebody at McDonald's. And her imagination stirs of what that must have been like for that person. And then she's going to go later to Awana Wednesday night, little Bible thing. And she's gonna, she wanted to get a cake pop from Starbucks for her Awana teacher. And so I had one card left, and then Kristen and I go on our, our little date while the kids are at Awana. We go on a little, little mommy-daddy date. That's a life hack, parents. Take advantage of those Baptists with the, you know, with the midweek stuff. Just drop your kids off, and then go on a date, get wings. So we did. And we sat outside, and 
our server, Terry, came up and she said, oh, hey, guys, the last couple who sat out here walked out on us, walked out on the check. And so I looked at Kristen and Kristen looked at me and I thought she was just like eyeing me up that night. But she's like, no, I want to grace bomb our server. I was like, I agree. And so we grace bomb our server. We pay our check and then we pay for the one that left, give her a card and just gave her some words of encouragement. As far as we knew, that was the end of the story. About a month later, I go back into Chad's barbecue, and I meet the owner, Chad, and his wife. And they came up, and they said, thank you for doing that for our server. It was a really, really kind thing to do. And then Christy, his wife, said, would you mind if I take the idea of Grace Bomb and just share it with my business network? Because we're always looking for ways to impact the community. I was like, cool. Go for it. I don't know where she is spiritually, but I was like, hey, if this woman wants to bring up grace in the secular world, go ahead. I'm for it. And so a couple months go by. And then I come to find out that she gave $100 bills and grace bomb cards to her, her entire staff, and they go grace bomb people. Then they come back, and they share the stories. They pick their favorite story, and she put that, those stories in a letter, and she sent her letter to the entire business network in her community, encouraging people to check out grace bomb and to grace bomb themselves. And I'm thinking, man, this is really cool. Still have no idea who this lady is. And then Christy says, or actually, uh, then... It was Palm Sunday, and I'm preaching in church, and I look in the back of the church, and it's Christy. And Christy comes up to me and then says, I just want you to know that I've ended a 20-year silence with Jesus. And it was because of the grace bomb thing that got me coming back to church. I was like, Christy, that's amazing. I didn't know her story. But then a little while later, we sat down and grabbed a cup of coffee, and she said, 20 years ago, uh, a good friend of ours in our college circle was killed up in a Dunkin' Donuts in the middle of the night with, in an act of gun violence. And it was devastating, and our whole little community is fragmented. And then two years later, I get married, and I was blindsided because the man was cheating on me, and I didn't know it, and all of a sudden I was divorced. And my parents are married for like 50 years, and I thought it was going to be the perfect thing. And then after that, she's like, I just walked away from God. And I said, God, if, if you're there, you certainly don't care about me. And so 20-year silence ensued with Christy. And what in one of the coolest moments of my life was probably two or three months ago. Christy's going to get baptized. I'm going to baptize her. And she says, can your wife Kristen and your daughter Scarlett be up at the baptismal when I'm baptized? Because Christy knew how that story went down with the date night and the grace bomb and everything. And when we were up at the baptismal font, right in the front of the, of the church, she leans over to Scarlett and says, uh, give Scarlett a gift. And it was actually this gift, a picture from her bedroom about the starfish, starfish poem. If you haven't read it, it's this little kid throwing starfish in the, in the ocean. And this old grumpy person says, what are you doing? You're going to make no difference because there's thousands of these starfish. And then the kid's like, yeah, well, I made a difference for that one. And Christy said, Scarlett, I was that starfish. And so it was like this act of obedience from a a seven-year-old girl.